for your love. Thank you so much for all you are to us. And God, I just pray right now that you would keep, continue to speak to us this morning. Continue to pour your spirit upon us. Lord, let this sweet spirit just flow in this room and in, and in the lives of these people today, God. Lord, I pray that as I bring this message that it speaks to the people in this place. God, it speaks to me and that it's your word speaking and not my own. God, just encourage us this morning. Remind us of your mercy. Remind us of the future that you have for us, Lord. No matter where we're at today, God, no matter what we're dealing with, no matter the week that we've had, you're still sovereign. You're still God. And you still have a plan. You still have a purpose for all of us. And God, I thank you so much that you're always working in those situations, that you're always moving us towards the greater promise. Thank you, Lord, for today. Let us honor you with everything that we have in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you guys so much. Hey guys, how are y'all? Good to see you. Oh, it's been it's been good. Hey, uh, this morning we were at doing Sunday school and and. Rick talked about how bad his couple, last couple weeks has been. And, uh, you know, I think sometimes we've, we've had those moments in our lives where it just feels like we're in a pit. Uh, it feels like we're, like nothing's going right, everything's going wrong, no matter how hard we try to make it happen, no matter how hard we try to make things go right, it's like nothing's lining up, nothing's going the way that we planned, and our life feels like we're in a pit. Right, it's, and we, we tell people, like, my life is just a pits right now. Have you ever told somebody that? It's like, my life is just a pits right now. And, and so today's message is titled, When Life's in the Pits. Uh, uh, when life is the pits, because we have that. Sometimes we feel like, man, my life is a pits right now. How do I get out of this pit that I fell into? And, and a lot of times we, we didn't cause ourselves to be put in that pit. We just kind of fell into it. Have you ever had those moments in your life where you just kind of fell into a pit? And you're like, how did I get in this pit? How do I get out of this pit? And we're looking for a way to get out, but we just can't find a way to get out. We're waiting for somebody to throw us a rope, throw us a ladder, come grab us out of that pit. But we just can't seem to get out of those pits. And, uh, you know, it's hard when we're in those moments. It's very hard. Life just seems so dark. Life seems like it's not going to get any better that my life isn't going to change, that I'm going to die here in this pit. I'm going to starve to death in this pit. And that's probably about five minutes for me if I don't get food, right? And so we feel like we're going to die in this pit, and we feel like there's no hope for us. And so this morning, I hope that I can encourage you that we all have these pit moments. We all have these moments in our lives where we feel like nothing's going right, nothing's happening the way it's supposed to, I've lined all this stuff up, and it's not coming true. No matter how hard I try, it's just not happening. Why is it not happening? You know, adversity comes to us all. The Bible promises us that we're going to have adversity. We're going to have times in our life where it's hard, where it's difficult. And that, that's a promise. But Jesus said, take heart because I've overcome the world. You're going to have troubles in this world, but I've overcome this world. 
And, and so if you get nothing else out of this message today, just know that you may be in a pit right now, but God is working in that situation. God is even in that pit with you. And he knows that there's a better promise for you. And we can even learn things when we're in the pit. Because I believe that God sometimes allows us to fall in pits so we can learn something while we're in there. It's like he has to get our attention. When we're in that pit by ourselves. there's nobody else to go to. It's just us and God. And I know when I'm in those pit moments, that's when God speaks to me the most. Because it, for, for some reason, I don't know why, but when things are going great, when we're on the mountaintop and, and everything's good, we, we kind of tend to push God out of the way. It's like, okay, God, I'll come speak to you. You know, thank you for the mountaintop. Thank you for this, this blessing that I have right now. But something happens when we get up there, we just kind of push him out of our life. And sometimes it takes those pit moments. Sometimes it takes those moments where life is the pits for us to really go back and turn to God. You see that in the Bible over and over. The people of Israel, I mean, even in the New Testament, people are, you know, they're, they're, something happens, their life is the pits, and then God comes and saves them out of the pit. And, and then they're all good. And then they start falling other gods. They start falling other things, and they push God out of the way. And then they fall in the pit again. God picks them up. He says, okay, you're going to follow me this time. Yeah, 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 we're going to follow you. And then years pass, and then they start following other gods. They start going after other things. And then this is this pattern over and over and over. But the thing with that pattern is God is always there to lift them out of the pit. God is always there to pick us up out of the pit when we fall in those areas. See, we can't choose everything that happens to us. Sometimes, yes, we can dig our own pit. <laughs> we can throw ourselves into the pit. A lot of times we can make bad decisions that lead us to fall into the pit. But oftentimes, we just stumble in there. Oftentimes, we find the pit without even looking for it. It's nothing we did wrong. It's nothing that, that, we, that we weren't sinning. We weren't living outside of God's will. It's just we found this pit, and we got in there, and we don't know how to get out. But often, we do make bad decisions. We, we make things that, we make decisions that help us to find the pit, or dig the pit, and fall in the pit. And here's the thing that God has given us more than anything. In those pit moments, we have the ability to choose. We have the ability to respond. And it's how you respond in those pit moments. It's how you respond in those moments when things aren't going right, in those circumstances that's going to either lead you out of that pit or you're going to start digging deeper into the pit or you're just going to be sitting in the pit doing nothing until you die. You have decisions to make. You have choices to make when you're in the pit. And God wants you to come to him in those pit moments. And he wants you to choose him in those pit moments. Because one thing I've learned on this earth is a long time, no matter how bad a situation is, and I've probably said this before and I'm a firm believer in it, no matter how bad a situation or a circumstance is, we all have the ability as people, as humans, to make the situation or circumstance worse. We, we, right? I mean, I've been there. It's like frustration. Well, I'm frustrated, so I'm going to choose the wrong thing right now. I'm going to speak up in anger. I'm going to do things out of frustration. And what happens? I take the shovel out and I just dig the, dip, the, the pit dip deeper. I'll get it out. Keep digging the pit. Keep digging the hole, right? It's like you keep digging the hole, you're not getting out of it. And so we can do that so many times because we choose the wrong things. We respond in the wrong way when we fall into the pit, when we have those circumstances or things happen to us. We choose the wrong thing. We respond totally wrong. So how do we respond the right way? How do we deal with adversity? Because like I said, adversity comes. How many of you guys like golf? I like to play golf. I'm not good at it. 
But golf, um, golf's a lot like life. You know, you tee the ball up, you see the goal, right? You, you see the pin that you're trying to get to. And you know how many strokes it's supposed to take to get there. I like the par fives because I'm not good. And I like as many strokes as I can get. And so you tee the ball up and you hit the ball and, and you pray that it's going to go where you want it to go, right? You judged the wind. You've looked at all the obstacles. You, you, you've practiced swinging on the, on the uh, what do you call it, the driving range. And, and you think you're going to know where the ball goes, right? And so you tee it up, you hit the ball, and if it goes where it's supposed to go, it's going to land on the fairway and you're going to get this favorable lie, this favorable lie where you can hit the ball again and it's going to go where you want it to go. And you do this in hopes that you're going to get it under five or, you know, hopefully under five or five because five means you're par. That means you're good. That means, hey, you hit this, this, you got this many holes, you got, you got, okay, you got as many strokes as it takes to get into the hole. And so golf is a game of chance, but it's also a game of skill, just like life. Life is a game, kind of, of skill, but it's also a game of chance because we can't always choose what happens because I can do all the right things when I hit my golf ball but it doesn't mean it's going to land where I want it to there's a lot of outside things that are going to affect how the ball flies and where the ball lands and a lot of times it's because I hit the ball wrong and the ball goes where I don't want it to go and it lines up for me a lot of the times in either the water or out in the woods and I lose my ball or in the sand pit. And uh, this is a funny story. I, we used to go golfing a lot with some guys. And the guy I used to go, I'm not going to mention his name, but the guy I used to go with had a real anger problem. Like, he would get so frustrated when he played. I'm like, dude, why do you even play with me? Like, every time you come, you get so mad. But one day, uh, we were on this uh, par, four, uh, par four, and he hits the ball, and it goes straight into a sand pit. And he's mad. He's like, oh, I can't believe I hit the sand pit. So he grabs his sand wedge out, and he goes to swing. He hits the, the ball, but the ball doesn't go anywhere. Like, it just falls right back in the pit. Have you ever been there? If you play golf. And he gets so angry. He takes his club. He snaps it. He throws it. He starts cussing and starts screaming. I was like, I can't believe I couldn't hit that ball. Give me my nine iron. I'm like, all right, man, here you go. He gets the nine iron out. He, he tries to hit it. Same thing happens. Snap! Screams, throws the club again, starts cussing again, getting mad. I'm like, man, you need to calm down. Like, Don't tell me what to do. Give me my eight iron. He grabs the eight iron. He hits it again. Nothing happens. Snaps that one. This is three clubs. He snapped and broken through. And he's like, give me my seven. I'm like, I'm not giving you another club, dude. You're, you're running out of clubs. It's like, these are expensive. Why? You need to calm down. He's like, I just, I just quit. I mean, he's acting like a little three-year-old out there on the golf course. And I think so many times we're like that. I mean, when things happen that we don't know, we weren't waiting for it. When things happen that, that we can't explain or maybe we hit the ball into the pit and our life is feel like we're in a pit, we get so angry. And we can be like my friend and we just get frustrated and mad and start breaking things, start breaking people, start breaking relationships. You know, he put himself in that pit. It was his bad shot. It was his decision. Now, I mean, he may not have wanted to go in that sand pit, but how he hit the ball, where he was lining up, and the, the ball went into the pit, and it was his fault. But sometimes it's not our fault. Sometimes the ball just gets snatched up. There's a story about a golf course in Calcutta, India. It's a cool story. Um, 
They built this beautiful golf course in Calcutta, and the problem with the golf course is, in India, there's a lot of monkeys. Have you ever watched like the, inf yeah, there's a lot of monkeys in India. A and so when they built this golf course, these monkeys would come and steal the ball, like when anybody would hit the ball. And so the, the, golf the golfers would hit the ball and the, the ball would roll and the monkeys would come steal it. And they're thinking, this is a problem. This is an issue. Nobody's gonna wanna play golf on our golf course if the monkeys keep taking the balls. And, and so what they did is they built this wall all the way around the golf course. But monkeys not a climb, right? So they just climbed over the wall and they kept stealing the balls. And they're like, oh, we gotta do something about this because our golf course is gonna close. And so they tried to trap all the monkeys. They put all these traps out and they caught a few, but monkeys, you know, they multiply a lot. They're kinda like rabbits. And, and so they couldn't catch all the monkeys. And so they tried to feed them, they tried to, you know, shoot at them, they tried everything they could to get these monkeys off the golf course. And then, so they finally had to get together and say, we got to make a decision about this golf course. How, do, how are we supposed to let people play on this and make it fun for them? And so they came up with a rule. And the rule was, you got to play the ball where the monkey drops it. In life, we got to play the ball where the monkey drops it a lot of the times. It's nothing that we did to cause the problem. It's, it's nothing in that, no decision that we made that was bad. It's just something that happens. And in life, we have those moments where things just happen. And we find ourselves in the pit. We find ourselves in a situation that we didn't plan on. We find ourselves in a situation that we weren't counting on. And so what do we do in those moments? How do we respond in those moments where we had everything planned out, we had everything lined up, and then life gave you a curveball. The monkey came and stole your ball, stole your life, stole your retirement plan, stole your job. We all have these monkeys that kind of steal things from us. How do we respond to those moments? And, and nothing, I think in the Bible, I don't think I know in the Bible, there's a young man that, that, that responded properly, that knew who he was, that knew God's promise for his life, that, that knew that God had a plan and a purpose for him. And even though his life was from pit to pit, he still responded in a way in those pit moments that led him to God's promise in his life because he never took his eyes off the promise, and that was Joseph. Now, Joseph uh, was the youngest of all his brothers, and his dad was Israel. Joseph was the favored son. How many of you are like, I'm the favorite? I'm not the favorite. I, actually, I am, but don't tell my parents that. Don't tell my brothers and sisters that. But uh, how many of us, you know, we're, he's the favorite son, and so Israel made him a coat of many colors. And this coat of many colors was a controversial thing for the brothers, because like, dad didn't give me a coat. Why did he give you a coat? You're the favorite. We all know you're the favorite. And, and Joseph, he was a little tattletale. Joseph would go tell on his brothers all the time because his brothers always messed around out there uh, watching the sheep. And, and so Joseph, being the little tattletale snotty brat that he is, he's always poking at his brothers. And then one day, Joseph has a dream. And he goes out to the field to tell his brothers his dream. He's like, brothers, brothers, guess what? I had a dream. He's like, we were all gathering wheat, and my wheat stood up. And all of your wheats bowed to my wheat. Isn't that cool? Now, if my brother tells me you're, you're going to bow to me, I'd be like, no, brother, that ain't happening. I don't care how big you are. 
And he tells his brothers, all your wheat bow to me. And so the brothers got mad. They got angry. He says, this, this little brother of mine, man, I'm going to take him out. And so he goes back to bed. He has another dream. And he goes to his father and says, Father, guess what? I had a dream. I said, the sun and the moon and 11 stars all bowed to me. And Israel's like, man, are you, he's like, son, do you really think we're all going to bow to you? Are you serious? But Israel took that to heart, it says in, in Scripture. They said, I'm going to take that to heart. It seems weird, it seems odd, but I'm going to take that to heart. But his brothers did not. His brothers were angry about it, furious. This little kid's going to try and take our birthright. Because as the youngest, you didn't get anything. And so it made him very mad. And so one day, uh, Israel tells Joseph, go check on your brothers out on the fields, make sure they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. And then Joseph goes to the field, and his brothers are out there, tending the sheep, probably playing chess. I don't know what they were doing, but they weren't watching the sheep like they're supposed to. And the oldest brother looks out in the distance and says, there's that little troublemaker. We're going to do him, man. Let's take care of Joseph right now when nobody's looking. And so they plan and connive to kill Joseph. And they say, we're going to kill him, and then we're going to tell Dad that a wild animal drug him, drug him off. Something happened to him. It'll be okay. We'll finally get rid of that little snot at once and for all. But one of the brothers stood up and said, no, this is not right. We cannot kill him. It's not the right thing to do. And so they found a pit, and they throw him in the pit. And they didn't know what to do at that moment, so they went and ate lunch. Isn't that what we always do? We don't know what to do. We just go eat lunch. And so they go eat lunch, and they're sitting down, and Joseph's screaming in the pit, let me out of the pit, let me out of the pit. But they're just eating lunch like they don't care. And then the scripture says that an Ishmaelite caravan comes by. And they say, hey, I have an idea. Let's sell Joseph to these Ishmaelites. We'll get some money out of it. Joseph, he won't be dead. Maybe he'll have a better life somewhere else, but he'll be out of our hair. And so they sell Joseph to these Ishmaelites. They, they cover his coat of many colors with blood and tell their dad that he was killed by a wild animal, that a wolf or a lion must have got him. And so, of course, the father was distraught and went into depression, and it was all horrible, but the brothers were happy. He's, he's gone. You got to deal with him anymore. So Joseph, luck would have it that he gets bought by a, a very wealthy man in Egypt, the, the captain of the guard. His name is Potiphar. Potiphar buys Joseph puts him in his house as a house servant. But what did Joseph do in that pit moment? Did he say, you know what, I've, I'm a slave now. I can't do anything right. I, 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 I'm supposed to be, you know, my brothers are supposed to bow to me. I was supposed to be the guy. But here I am now, I'm a slave. I'm the lowliest person, you know, in, in the world right now. What am I supposed to do in this moment? Did he sulk? Did he cry? Did he, make, did he play the, the, the victim card? No, he said, you know what? I'm in this area right now in my life. I don't understand how I got here. I didn't plan for this to happen, but I'm going to make the best of the moment. And he worked hard where he was at. He worked hard as a slave. And it says that he rose to be first in the house. So there's Potiphar and then there's Joseph. A slave boy is now in charge of all Potiphar's estate. And Potiphar's wife thought Joseph was a good-looking young man. And so she kept pursuing him, saying, Joseph, come here, come here, Joseph. I want to sleep with you. I want, I want you to come to my bed. And she's like, it's okay. You're my slave. N nobody's going to know about it. You know, you're my slave anyway. You got to do what I ask. But what did Joseph do? Did he take the, the card that was issued to him? Did he play the ball that was dropped? He said, no. He said, I will not sin against my master, and I will not sin against God. See, Joseph at that moment remembered the dreams. He remembered the plan. He remembered the purpose that God had given him. 
that said, you know what, I'm going to do something out of you. Because I can, I can imagine that, 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 that those moments that Joseph was remembering all that his father had told him about his family. All that, that God had promised his family. That out of his family, they're going to bless nations. And Joseph's like, you know what, does it seem right right now? It doesn't seem like I'm, we're going to be able to bless nations, but I'm a part of that promise. And I'm going to hold on to that promise. And I'm going to hold on to what God says. And I'm going to work hard where I'm at, knowing that God is working to get me out of the situation. And so he worked hard. And he, and he told Potiphar's wife, no, I'm not going to go with you. And she kept pursuing him and kept pursuing him until one day she catches him alone in Potiphar's house by himself and just her. And she comes again. Joseph, Joseph, come on, let, let's go. And he says, no, I'm not going to do that. I told you already, I'm not going to do that. And she reaches out to grab him. And she pulls off his clothes, or his robe, his shirt, I don't know what they wear back then, but she pulls it off of him. He's running out of the house naked. All the servants hear all the commotion. They run in and say, what happened? And she says, that Hebrew boy tried to rape me. So again, Potiphar throws Joseph into prison. Could have killed him. But she throws Joseph, he throws Joseph into the prison, another pit. Joseph goes from pit to pit to pit. He gets thrown into prison. Did he make, did he just take that prison moment and say, you know what, I'm done. I'm in here. It's not my fault. I did all the right things, God. I did, I, you know, I told her no, and look what it got me. I did the right things, look what it got me. I'm in jail. Did he take that card? He said, no. I know God's plan. I know God's purpose. I know that he promised my family things. I know that he has a plan for me. He has a purpose for me. And so he worked hard in that prison. And it says he became number one in that prison. A prisoner in charge of prisoners. And then one day a cupbearer and then a baker come in to the prison. And the, the cupbearer says, I had a dream. Is there anybody that can interpret dreams in here? And Joseph said, tell me your dream. I'll give it a shot. And so, long story short, the cupbearer tells Joseph the dream. He says, good news. In three days, you're going to be out of here. You're going to be reinstated. You're going to be the cupbearer. The king's anger will subside. You're going to be good. And the baker that came with him goes, oh, man, I had a dream, too. I need to ask him what it was. And so the baker goes to Joseph. I had a dream, too. I'm going to tell you my dream. Joseph says, I'm sorry, baker. It's not going to go well for you. Three days. You see, what I think happened there was, you know, the cupbearer, would taste the food for the king. That's their job. That way, if it was poisoned or something like that, they would die first, and then the king would be okay. And, and the baker was the cook. So it's like the baker baked the goods, the cupbearer tasted the goods, and then the king ate it if it was still safe. Well, something happened along that line. Like the baker cooked the goods, and it was made the king sick or something, I don't know. But it got through the cupbearer somehow, and then the king got sick. And this is just my observation that's not in the scripture, so don't take my word for it. But, but, you know, so there's a line that happens. So my guess is that they're both thrown into prison until they figure this thing out. Why did the king get sick? And so they figure out that the cupbearer was not at fault, and so the cupbearer gets out and, and, and goes back to the king, and Joseph tells the cupbearer, says, hey, remember me. That's all I want you to do, just remember that I'm in here. You know, I was thrown into jail. I didn't do anything wrong. I was falsely accused. Just remember me and tell the king about me. Three years pass. Joseph's in, in prison for three years after that. 
the king has a dream, and the cupbearer says, hey, I know a guy that can interpret dreams. And so they go and get Joseph. Joseph tells the king about his dream. And the dream, if you can read about it in Genesis, is really cool. It's really weird, like crazy dream. Joseph tells him this. He goes, this is what God Almighty says. He says, in seven years, we're going to have uh, we're going to have plenty. We're going to have seven years of plenty. It's like we're going to have so much food, we're not going to do with it. But then after that, we're going to have seven years of famine. And so God has given you this dream to save your people and to save other people. And Pharaoh says, okay, if that's, if that's what's going to happen, then we're going to do this. And so he puts, actually puts Joseph in charge of this whole operation of storing up grain and giving it out. I'm sure he saw the money in this, right? He's like, hey, we're going to have grain. Nobody else is. We're going to sell this and get rich, rich, rich. And so Joseph is over this whole project. And it says in Scripture that Joseph actually becomes the number two guy in Egypt. Man, he goes from out of that pit to number two in Egypt. And in those moments when everybody's starving, when there's no food, his brothers come back to Egypt because they hear that there's food in Egypt. And so they come there looking for food. And what do they find? They find Joseph. And, and here's the, the short side of the story. They, they come back, Joseph tests them a, a few times to see if they're, if they're good people. They haven't killed all their brothers off, right? All the rest of them. And then, then all their brothers come back, he reveals himself. He's like, ta-da, I'm Joseph, what are you going to do now? You know, you threw me in a pit, you left me for nothing, now I'm number two in Egypt. You're done. That's not what he did. It says his brothers bowed to him, just like the dreams. They said, oh Lord, please do not kill us, we are so sorry for what we did. Joseph said, hey, look, don't get mad, don't get angry, don't be afraid. He said this in Genesis chapter 45, verse 5. Do not be angry at yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me. It was to save lives that God sent me. See, Joseph understood that even though I was in those moments in my life that I didn't understand, even though I was in those pit moments, when I was in the pit and my brothers got rid of me, they didn't want it. my own family tossed me in the trash. He didn't lose hope. He didn't say, you know what, I'm trash, God doesn't love me. He, he knew his plan, he knew his purpose that God had given to him. When he was thrown in prison, same way. When he was in the slave house, same way. He said, I'm going to keep my eyes on God because God has a plan and a purpose for me. And then when he gets to the highest authority position in Egypt, what's he do? He doesn't, he doesn't take that position and start wreaking havoc and, and taking, he didn't go to Potiphar's house and kill Potiphar. He didn't go to his brothers and kill, and kill his brothers. He didn't take advantage of his position, but he understood his position. That God put him there for a reason and a purpose. And for you today, I don't know where you're at. You may be in a pit or you may be at a high authority position right now, God has you where you are for a reason, and he wants to use you for a reason, and he has a plan and he has a purpose for you, even in our moments where we seem like nothing is right. God has a plan for you. So how do we respond? Like, like how do we respond like Joseph? How are, we, how are we supposed to respond like Joseph, when we have those pit moments, when we have those moments in our lives where it just doesn't seem like everything is going the way it's supposed to. Well, the Apostle Paul tells us how we can do that. And he writes to Philippian church. Now, if you know anything about Paul, Paul was an apostle. And, and before he became an apostle of Jesus, he was a, 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 a Pharisee. 
He was a very high-ranking official in the Pharisaical order. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees, he said. And, these, and, and he hated Christians, so he, he tried to chase Christians off and beat Christians and throw them in jail. And then one day, Jesus himself comes and speaks to Paul and says, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And he, he converts to Christianity. And this is what he says to the Philippian church in chapter 3, verse 12. I'm going to read it out of, out of my translation. I might be a little different than I said up there, but he says this. Look, not that I've already attained all this. He's talking about the resurrection. He's talking about perfection. He's talking about when Jesus comes back and that God's working in his life to perfect him and to make him more godlike. We call that sanctification. He says, not that I'm already there. He said, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. He says, brothers, I do not consider myself yet to take hold of it, but one thing I do, this is the key when you're in the pit moments, this one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And he says, all of us who are mature should take such a view of things, and if at some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. But only let us live up to what we have already attained. Paul's saying, my past doesn't matter. He's saying, you know what? I had, I had comfort. I had everything. I was a Pharisee. I could have stayed in the temple. I probably would have been the high priest. But he said, I gave all that up for Jesus because he was the better way. He's saying, not, that, that stuff in the past doesn't matter. And I think we need to drop the past. We need to drop the past. Because it's weighing us down. You can't climb out of a pit with a back full of baggage. You can't get out of where God wants you to go if stuff is weighing you down. And Paul's saying, I'm forgetting all that. I'm forgetting my past. I'm forgetting what I did. He's, God has a future for me, and I'm reaching, I'm striving, I'm moving toward that which God has called me to do. And I think when we understand that we need to drop the past, that we need to drop the things that we did in the past, I don't care what you did in the past. God doesn't see that anymore. God sees your future. And he wants you to see the future and grab towards it. Get a hold of it. I love his words. It's like grasping, grabbing, straining, going toward. It's a fight. It's a fight. Have you ever tried to climb out of a pit? It's hard. You know, I'm, I'm a little skinnier now, but I used to be pretty big. It's hard for me to get out of a pit. It takes a lot of effort to get out. And God's just saying, hey, just keep pushing, keep going, keep going after it. I have something for you. Keep holding on to that promise. Keep looking up. Keep looking up. Because when we're, we're, we're in the pit, we don't look up. We don't look up. We look at what's going on in the pit. We look at all the situations and how to get out of the pit, but we don't look up for the answer. We need to look up and say, God, you know. You have a plan. You have a purpose for me, even in this pit. How many of you feel like your job's a pit? <laughs> Amen, brother, right? God has a plan for you in that moment. Because those people are in the pit with you, right? God placed you in that pit to make a difference in their lives. God placed you in that pit to change lives, to show them Jesus. 
to show them the way out of the pit, to show them Jesus. He is the way out. He is the door that they're looking for. So, so don't fall down when you get in a pit. Don't fall down when life gives you a bad, you know, bad, bad lie. When your ball doesn't go where you want it to go. Where your life doesn't end up the way that you thought it would. God has a plan. God has a purpose. God is using that to mold you, to shape you, to grow you, and to change many other lives around you. Don't lose sight of the promise that God has for you. Don't lose sight of that promise. When we find ourselves in a pit, we need to respond with the destination in mind. We need to respond with eternity in mind. Knowing that, you know what, I may die in this pit. To be honest, you may. I mean, you may, your situation may never change. I mean, we don't want that to happen. But it may never change. But it's temporary. It's temporary. It's, it's a moment. It's just momentary. Eternity is forever. And in this pit moment where you're at doesn't compare into eternity. We need to focus on the eternal and not so much on what we see here on this earth. And when we do that, what's the pit? I mean, what, what is life? What is life? What is life? Man, this is so temporary. This is so momentary. I mean, my pains and my anxieties, I mean, they're going to be gone. Because Jesus is coming back. And Jesus is going to take us back. And when we go to him, it's going to be good. Our life is it, it's going to... I can't imagine. I can't imagine what that's going to be like when I look upon Jesus' face. I can't imagine. It's like the song, I can only imagine. Don't get caught up in today's pain. Don't get so caught up in today's pain. Don't get so caught up in it. God has a purpose, even in that pain, and it's eternal. God has given us stuff. Paul says we need to respond with what we've already attained. He said, not that I've obtained everything, but I have attained some things. And in this life, Jesus gives us something. The Holy Spirit comes inside of us, and we get what we call the fruits of the Spirit. And when we find ourselves in unfavorable lives, when we find ourselves in the pits, when we find ourselves sidetracked, we need to respond to those situations and to those people with the fruits of the Spirit, which are kindness, gentleness, patience, self-control, love. Those are the things that we need to respond with. We don't need to be like my friend and just snap golf clubs and throw them, snap golf clubs and throw them. We need to respond in kindness and say, you know what? If I made this decision and it's my choice, I need to own it and say, okay, I messed up. Take the penalty, swing on. That's kindness, that's gentleness, that's patience. And if you find yourself in a pit and that you didn't cause, say, you know what? It's okay. God's still in control. I know he's got this. I'm going to respond to the people around me with patience. I'm going to respond to the situation with kindness and gentleness and self-control. And I'm going to love these people in the pit with me because that's why God put me in this pit.
for the saving of many lives, like he did for Joseph. Because it's not about what happens in life that matters the most, but how I respond to what happens to life that matters the most. And that's what matters the most to God. And for some of you, like I said earlier, the monkey stole your ball. I don't know where it went. Maybe it's just time to move on. Stop looking for it. Stop chasing it. Go out, drop your ball, finish the course. Because we, we, we can get so lost in that moment that we don't finish. God's saying, just finish. Just finish. Just finish. Don't let that pit define your life. Don't let that pit moment define you. Let it refine you. Amen. Amen. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, I thank you for today. Oh, God, we love you. Lord, I don't know where these people are, but God, I know we're all in the same boat. God, I know that we all face hardships. We all face difficulties. We all go through things, God, and we don't understand why. Some things, God, we bring upon ourselves. And Lord, we ask for wisdom. Wisdom to know when we do that and the courage to own those moments and to move on. That God, for many of us, we were doing the right thing. We were following you and we found ourselves in a pit. We found ourselves in a hole. Hey, God, for us that are in that pit right now, God, help us to look up and see the purpose in it. Help us to have the right attitude. Help us to respond in a way that honors you right now, Father. God, I pray that you would give people comfort right now where they're at. God, they feel alone. They feel discouraged. They feel like they're all by themselves right now in this pit and that they're going to die. Would you just lower yourself into that pit with them, God, and show them mercy, show them grace? Even if they put themselves in that pit, God, I pray that you would show them mercy and show them grace and remind them that, that they are loved by you no matter what happens to them on this earth. You still have a plan for their life. You still have a purpose for their life. And that you want to spend eternity with them. You love them so much that you sent your son to die for them. So that you may know them for eternity. That they may be in your presence for eternity. You loved us that much, God. Remind us of that love right now. Thank you, Father, for that. Thank you, Lord. God, I pray right now for these people that you give them courage, you give them strength, help them to respond the right way today. God, we love you. You are sovereign. You are Lord, no matter what else happens. We thank you, God, that you're working in all things. In all things, you're working. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for being